This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 28th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Volkswagen is letting us all get a glimpse of its ID7 battery electric sedan at CES as it builds out its all-electric lineup. We'll have more details coming up. I'm sure Chris will have some comments on that. Tesla is in hot water, or maybe we should say cold water, in Korea as the South Korean government announces that it is issuing a big fine on the automaker. I'll tell you, this year has started out a bit rocky for Tesla and CEO Elon Musk. We'll tell you why coming up. Not just the uh, the fine in Korea either. And uh, in the more things change, the more they stay the same department, one super popular vehicle has retained its sales crown for the 46th consecutive year. We'll tell you what model that is and give you more details a bit later in the show. I'm Jackie Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague, fresh from what I hope has been a pleasant Christmas and New Year's holiday. It was very pleasant, Jack, although I'm sitting here now three days into January wondering why it's 50 and raining in Maine instead of 20 and snowing, but I guess these are the, the breaks. How are you? Well, I, I'm... It, the same, actually. It's a 50 and raining here in Southern California, too. So <laughs> Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, how you can get most for your car dollar. And it's a weird anomaly, right, where you have the same weather as we have in Southern California in the beginning of January. Yeah, Maine's beautiful, but I think Southern California's probably got a little bit better scenery in January. <laughs> Things yeah. are a little brown here still. Yeah. Well, it's it gets green here when we get some rain, which we don't get all that often. But it, this... Uh, weather year uh, has started out to be uh, pretty rainy, uh, which we're happy about, actually. Uh, so that's good. But this is not uh, meteorological uh, time here. Uh, I guess it is on the show, but this is not what the show is about. It's not about weather. It is about cars. And Chris, what car are you going to be testing this week? I drove the Mazda CX-30 uh, with the turbocharged engine. Quite a nice little crossover, Jack. I bet it is, yeah. And uh, the Nirad family spent the uh, Christmas and New Year's holiday in the Toyota Sienna, at least when we were driving places. We didn't live in it, but uh, you almost could. Uh, a terrific minivan, so we'll have a full report on that. We have a absolutely terrific guest. Steve Center is Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Kia America. I had the chance to sit down with him for a lengthy interview about Kia's plans here in the United States and uh, globally, actually. I think you'll enjoy our conversation, so stick around for that. But before we do anything else, we're going to be bringing you some of the most important automotive information from around the world, including that Tesla news. So stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you. Thanks so much for being with us on a new year on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with co-host Chris Teague. This is Jackie Red back with you. We're so glad you're with us for a new year on America on the Road. And it is news time. And uh, every year we uh, run into CES, which used to be called the Consumer Electronics Show. I think it just now goes by those initials. But car companies spend a lot of time now announcing vehicles, especially high-tech vehicles, at the Consumer Electronics Show, or CES. And Volkswagen is one of them. ID7 is going to be released with digital camouflage. <laughs> it's not actually going to be unveiled because it will be camouflaged and, and pretty zooty camouflage too. But this is their sedan in the ID point something line. <laughs> What's your take overall on, on the fact that Volkswagen is putting it out this way? Well, I mean... Why? I guess, first of all, if you're going to announce something, announce it or don't. It's like a chef I used to work for said, it's not al dente. It's either done or it's not. So uh, it's either <laughs> well, out or it isn't well at this point in time. 
but you know, I'm glad to see a sedan. Uh, so many crossovers are out now. Mercedes has a couple of uh, electric sedans, but those are extremely expensive. So it'd be very, it's very nice to see more sedans hitting the market as electrification takes over. Well, it's interesting. It's been six years since uh, Volkswagen was at CES, but I think they feel this is something exciting to announce. You know, maybe the news about the light effects is is as interesting as the car, especially because we're not going to see that much about the car. But they have tons of coats of paint on this, some of which conduct electricity and some are insulators, and they can light up the car in a bunch of different ways. So it should be a cool light effect when they get around to doing that, which I think is about now when we're we're doing uh, when the show is airing. Here's something inside the car, though, that I think is pretty cool. The ID7 can detect when the driver is approaching with their key so they can start to cool the interior on hot summer days or warm the interior in frigid 50-degree uh, main days that uh, you're experiencing. Uh, or you can say, hello, Volkswagen, my hands are cold, and it will warm the steering wheel for you and blow hot air on your hands. I mean, that's got to be a boon to somebody in Maine, right, Chris? Yeah, well, first world problems for sure with this car, but I can tell you that those are those are very innovative features that you don't think about. They sound kind of silly when you're talking about them now, but like in everyday practice, uh, walking up to the car and having it recognize you and already start preconditioning the interior, that's super convenient. But I mean, a lot of people can do that with their apps now. We can do that with the Volvo app on my wife's car. So, uh, but it's cool that it does it automatically. I think it's gonna it's a good differentiator for Volkswagen in the sort of mass market space there. You know, it strikes me, Chris, that as we do what we do in terms of reviewing cars, this is the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about going forward as opposed to performance and what the engine offers and all of that. I mean, there will be differences, I think, between electric motors and, you know, some will be better, some will be worse, some will be on higher power systems, 800 volt systems, for example, versus 400 or something like that. But uh, the kind of technical things I think we're going to be reviewing and talking about are these uh, product benefit features as opposed to, uh, you know, more nitty gritty uh, performance mechanicals. Yeah. And the industry is already going that way. Anyway, if you look at the information that automakers give consumers on websites, I was actually talking about this a couple of days ago, uh, the GM website in 1960s, you could look up the compression ratios and very detailed specifications of the inside of an engine. Uh, and now they, it's hard to find the horsepower information and torque for some, even gas powered cars now. So uh, we're definitely well, beyond the i guess we've already jumped the jumped the barrier there in terms of those those bits of information yeah exactly leap the shark i think i mean yeah. when i was doing specs at motor trend magazine decades ago we would look at the sae the society of auto engineers specs and there was a spec it was like the bible on each vehicle and you could get all of that and so much i mean absolutely chapter and verse on everything about the vehicle and now that just doesn't happen and uh it's, it's more product features and uh, the manufacturer tells us what we want to know and <laughs> what they want us to know and all of that so so there's that well let's talk about this fine for tesla and i think in some ways tesla's being singled out here and i hope we're not doing it here on america on the road too because this is not a tesla only issue this is an issue i think well, maybe the fine is certainly the fine is because it's tesla being fine but the, the issue behind this is the fact that electric vehicles uh, lose a lot of range uh, ability in cold weather. This is what uh, Tesla is being fined uh, for. Uh, this is from a Reuters story. South Korea's antitrust regulator, um, you know, they're uh, kind of like RFTC. They call it the KFTC, which I don't think has anything to do with chicken, but I'm suddenly hungry. Um, they're imposing a 2.85 billion, billion won 
which translates to about $2.2 million fine on Tesla for failing to tell its customers about the shorter driving range of electric vehicles in low temperatures. Well, you know, this isn't a secret <laughs> that uh, driving ranges drop, but uh, this is, you know, quoting from the uh, KFTC fine announcement. Driving ranges of its cars, Tesla's cars, on a single charge, their fuel cost effectiveness compared to gasoline vehicles, as well as the performance of its superchargers, is misstated, according to uh, the Korean regulator, the Korean Fair Trade Commission. Driving range of U.S. EV manufacturers' cars plunge in cold weather. This, uh, this is a figure I wasn't aware of up to 50%, 50.5%, according to this Reuters story. I mean, <laughs> that's a big shortfall. You got 300 miles and suddenly you've got 150 miles. You're in a world of hurt, potentially. It is. And, you know, I can see some difficulty with stating the range in cold weather, right? Because there's so many factors, what the temperature is, how much preconditioning the driver did, all those, how they're driving, all those things. But it is true. It impacts the range of every electric vehicle. It's not a, it's not a Tesla issue. You know, I had the... Uh, the Chevy Bolt EV just a few weeks ago, I drove it from here to Boston and had to end up stopping despite the fact that it said I had range because it was so cold out, I'd stop and charge about halfway there. So, uh, you know, I don't know that it was 50% off the target mark, but that's not uh, completely unheard of. I've seen up, up to 40% in the last week, in fact, from people in Chicago. So uh, they just need to do a better job of telling people about it. Yeah, everybody does. Well, the Korean Fair Trade Commission is not singling out Tesla all, all the time. Certainly, they have fined Mercedes-Benz, uh, 20.2 billion won for false advertising tied to gas emissions about diesel engines. This was in 2022 that they did this. So interesting that uh, you're getting this. I think in the overall scheme of things, a $2.2 million fine for Tesla is kind of a drop in the bucket based on the, the market cap for that. But uh I think the bigger issue is people should be aware that if you buy an electric vehicle uh, in a cold weather state or you're traveling into a cold weather state, your range could be significantly affected uh, just by trying to keep your hands warm. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, we've talked about the need for increased communication around things like advanced safety features in the past. I think this is another one of those we could just tack onto the list that maybe automakers need to be coerced into being more specific with their, their, their range estimates when they talk about cold weather driving. Yeah. And uh, again, do your homework before you buy a vehicle and, and understand if you're thinking about buying an electric vehicle. And this is certainly good, very good reasons to consider an electric vehicle, but know what you're getting into and, and know what it could, how it could affect you and all the ramifications of that, which is a good reason to listen to America on the road, isn't it, Chris? Absolutely. <laughs> so, so we tease the fact that a, a particular uh, model has um, retained a sales crown for years and years and years and years, I think for longer than Chris has been on this planet, which is kind of amazing. It's not, sadly, not longer than I've been on this planet, but I remember when this, this vehicle took over the sales crown. It was a big deal. And now here we are 46 years later. And uh, Chris, you can probably do the honors. What is this vehicle? The Ford F-150, Jack. Absolutely. It has been the best-selling truck for 46 consecutive years and the best-selling car in America, or best-selling vehicle in America for 41 consecutive years. That's pretty amazing. They sell an, an F-Series an truck every 49 seconds, or did in 2022, every 49 seconds. It's insane. You know, they sell more F-150s than some automakers sell their entire product line. 
And I forget the exact figures, but Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, was on uh, CNBC or some program a couple of years ago describing the size of the F-150 brand. If they had split it away from the Ford umbrella, it would be as large as like some department store chains and some yeah. major brand names. I forget what they were. Well, I we think even McDonald's or something that I mean, yeah, it was some gigantic companies where you think, well, you know, this is a truck and they sell a ton of them, but really that many but uh, you know that's what it is and that's what it means to ford motor company too i think with that kind of market they're also lumping in the uh, the super duty not just the f-150 but that is a whole mess oh, of trucks here it is bigger than nike coca-cola starbucks tesla mastercard netflix visa uber capital one twitter and southwest airlines yeah i mean can you imagine so uh that's uh the f-series trucks and so when I'm driving that Lightning or, you know, driving that uh, F- F-150 hybrid or a, a conventional F-150, uh, I'm I'm part of something and you're part of something that's <laughs> bigger than big, isn't it? Yeah, you're one of millions. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, when we come back, we will be road testing some very interesting vehicles, including the Mazda CX-30. And I was driving the Toyota Sienna minivan, uh, probably the envy of the Chris Teague household uh, with that <laughs> minivan. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Rad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Hi, this is Jack Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel. So he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack Red back with you for road test time on America on the Road. We have two, uh, I think, fascinating vehicles, uh, really interesting vehicles, uh, not the norm kind of vehicles to talk about this time around. And Chris, you were driving the Mazda CX-30 over the holiday and recently. Uh, Tell us all about it. I did, and we've driven this show, driven this vehicle on the show in the past, and we've always had great things to say about it. But I always seem to forget how solid, how good these vehicles are until I get in and drive one, uh, which I did. I mentioned driving the Chevy Bolt to Boston earlier in December. I drove the CX-30 back from Boston uh, after a holiday party, and I got to tell you, it was supremely comfortable on the highway. But uh, I'll start over with the pricing, and we can get back into that in just a minute. So. Mazda offers this thing in several trims with two different powertrains. Uh, some automakers are shrinking their trim lines, trying to make things simpler. Mazda offers like 
10 trims for this car and like I said, two powertrains. But I tested the turbocharged model, the Turbo Premium Plus, which is the very tippy top of the lineup. Uh, they offer a non-turbo model with a 2.5 liter engine. Those trims are uh, comparably equipped, but the engine is what, what you're really paying for here. Uh, having said that, it's a 2.5 liter turbocharged four-cylinder. It makes around 250 horsepower on premium fuel. Uh, since powered all four wheels, Mazda made all-wheel drive standard for all of them. Uh, zero to 60, if you cared for this sort of vehicles, under six seconds, which is surprising. Uh, and just like other Mazdas, we've talked about this, Jack, and I get your opinion too. Uh, even the CX-9, which I think you drove a, a little while ago, feels sporty, feels engaging, feels like it's ready to go, it's eager. Uh, and the same thing is true in the smaller CX-30. So what do you think about Mazda crossover driving dynamics? Well, I think they've been able to incorporate that, you know, former Zoom Zoom that they use in their sports cars and sports sedans uh, in their crossovers. And I think it's a great thing. I think all of us who test cars and are enthusiastic about driving cars uh, like the Mazda crossovers and just the, the fun of them. I think what they give up uh, for that is some size and utility. And that's it could be important. Uh, but in terms of driving dynamics, uh, they're top notch. Yes, they are. And the CX-30, you know, I keep coming back to this. I've tried over the holiday to find a vehicle that's better than my Golf GTI with sportiness and cargo space. There aren't any real vehicles out there that do it right now. The CX-30 comes close, but it's got less cargo space than my GTI. The back seat is a little cramped, especially we're going to say it now. I'm six feet tall and I've got kids riding behind me uh, in car seats. I think that's the first time of 2023, Chris. I like that. Uh, well, <laughs> I haven't even thought about it, um, but... You know, so these things add up to a very engaging experience with the vehicle itself. So you get a crossover, you think, well, I'm going to give up some fun here. I'm going to give up on, I have to give my parent card now and give up my enthusiast card. You don't have to do that with some of these uh, vehicles, especially not if you're doing zero to 60 in, in less than six seconds, which is pretty quick for any vehicle. Uh, this car has a non-touchscreen infotainment system. It is uh, operated with a dial, which is not the most intuitive thing. And I'll, I'll get your opinion on this too, Jack. It's an 8.8-inch screen. It's very visible. The, the cabin is small, so you don't have to look very far to see it. But uh, you have the, the. I always have the habit of reaching out and trying to touch it and smashing it. It doesn't do anything. Uh, but you have a dial that lets you scroll through. And it's fine. You get used to it. But when you have to go through large lists of content, like if you're scrolling through radio stations or song names or whatever, you're really going to be there cranking that dial, even if you're uh, just you know going a few spaces. So what do you think about that? Like how how do you like the dial and not the non-touch screen? It, it's closer to the, your body for sure. You don't have to reach across. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like the dial thing and then I kind of don't like it. I mean, I, I like the fact that you're, I'm not getting finger marks all over the touch screen all the time. And it, it looks a mess. I, you know, I'm OCD enough, I guess, to care about that. And at, at the same time, as you say, it, it's really kind of nice to swipe on a touch screen. I mean, here you go. It's a long, let's say you're looking at Sirius XM station list or something like that with 400 channels. To scroll through that with a swipe is a lot easier than doing it with a knob. Yeah, I agree. I think, unfortunately, for car automakers, Apple trained us all, or you know, Apple and Android trained us all to swipe with our thumb, and that's kind of how we expect. But uh, the screen's bright, it's responsive, it's easy to see, so I think that most people get used to the dial pretty quickly. But uh, inside, cloth upholstery comes standard. My top trim model had leather, heated seats, cooled seats, heated steering wheel, uh, sunroof, head-up display, uh, the whole gamut of safety equipment. Uh, this is almost $36,000. So there, I mean, it's expensive, but there is value here. Like I said, you get plenty for that money. Uh, and if you don't want to spend it, Mazda offers, as I said, a 
whole handful of other models that you can choose from in the same lineup and you get most of the same driving experience uh, with just a little bit of less horsepower. But Jack, I'm going to keep going on and on. I think other than the size of this, it's probably a little cramped for me. I need I have to have room for my large dog and things in the back. But otherwise, this is a fantastic vehicle. And I think it's a great choice for small families, young professionals, people, you know, smaller items to, to carry. It's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's one to look at, especially for, I think, for singles and couples, maybe not even those with small family. They might find it a little too small, but uh, certainly for those with active lifestyles. I remember <laughs> 40 years ago when I had something like that uh, and it was fun to do. Uh, now my kids have active lifestyles. I can talk about them. Well, I was driving. Speaking of my kids, I had all my kids here. My kids are all grown, uh, you know, so they're adults. But they were here for Christmas, and so that was a beautiful thing. And we had a Toyota Sienna minivan as our vehicle of choice to ferry everybody around, including my, my two wonderful in-laws who came and uh, visited us on Christmas. And we, we went to uh, Lowry's and uh, listened to the carolers, I think, before Christmas and had a blast doing that and uh, then went through the Christmas holiday. So this was a terrific vehicle for that. What I had not realized, Chris, is they uh, Toyota has sold more than 2.2 million Sienna minivans um, since 1997. I mean, that's a whole lot of minivans. And, and Toyota was not exactly the go-to choice for minivan for years and years and years. But I think with this new Sienna that they introduced as in the 2021 model year, They've become kind of the go-to. What's your take on that? I think the, the fact that they switched over to hybrid power really was a boon to them. They did, and for the longest time, they were the only minivan you could buy with all-wheel drive, even before the hybrid uh, came along You know, a couple of years ago. Uh, but it is a testament to the quality of the minivan. The Toyotas, as they are with their other vehicles, are not typically the most exciting minivan you can buy. Uh, I think Chrysler Pacifica is probably taking that, that maybe the, the Kia Carnival, but uh, it is one of two all-wheel drive minivans available still today. Uh, it's fantastic to drive, so I can see why it's popular. Yeah, plenty of horsepower, and I kept looking at the fuel gauge and going, well, geez, I've, I've been driving all, all over the place, uh, up and back to Beverly Hills a couple of times and uh, out around Southern California, and the fuel gauge, barely, you know, the fuel indicator gauge uh, very uh, barely moved. The needle on it barely moved because uh, the fuel economy is, is so excellent. Uh, 35 miles per gallon combined in all-wheel drive form or 36 with front-wheel drive. I mean, for a minivan, that's, uh, that's mind-bogglingly good uh, fuel economy uh, and has 245 horsepower. So here's a seven or eight-passenger vehicle. Enough horsepower. This is not a race car, but it handles well with plenty, plenty of power for uh, merging onto freeways and that kind of thing. And then, as you say, you can get all-wheel drive. Even all-wheel drive was, uh, was useful here in the wet in Southern California. I think with this fourth-generation Sienna, uh, it's a huge step forward for Toyota in this lineup. Um, I just think so much to like, right? Yeah, and if you just bring it back, I drove the, the previous generation Sienna. I think it was well, 2019 now, so almost four years ago that we're in 2023. But I found that, you know, it's, it's comfortable to drive. The all-wheel drive is fantastic, but it was not the most intuitive van to use on the inside. You could drop something and it goes down between the the storage console and the, the seat and like the storage consoles are like four feet deep and you can reach your whole arm in there to pull thing out things out. And the Toyota seemed to have taken some of those those things and improved on them for this the new generation. The interior is much more premium than it was before. The tech is better. The storage spaces are still just as useful, but they don't swallow your gear. You can find them and you know reach around in there. So uh, they made the, the improvements they needed to. The van styling, uh, it's a minivan. I mean, what do you want from styling? But they, they did a good job with it. Yeah, I think all the way around. They offered in a bunch 
bunch of different trims, starting at about $35,000, $36,000, which is not an inconsequential price, but for a vehicle that can tote around that many folks, uh, you know, the LE is a fairly plain Jane vehicle, but uh, a lot of uh, functionality there. Then they go up to the XLE version. There's the Sporty XSE, Sporty in quotes. I'm not going to do air quotes, but I could. Uh, the Woodland Edition, which uh, features all-wheel drive, and then the vehicle we had, the Limited, and then there is the Ultra Plush Platinum. And I, it's hard, I'm hard-pressed to see how it could be much more plush than the, uh, the Limited that had kick-open and closed sliding doors, a rear lift gate, four-zone climate control, heated second-row sliding captain's chairs. I know the Teague fa- uh, family favors captain's chairs there. These have ottomans, so you could like that. Power tilt and tel- the telescoping steering column, heated steering wheel, Perfect in this weather. Head-up display, 10 inches. A 12-speaker JBL premium audio system. I mean, this thing's loaded for bear <laughs> in limited trim. About $47,000, $48,000 as tested. Again, under $50,000 with all that kind of stuff for a family vehicle that uh, has that level of uh, reliability and resale value. I, I just think there's so much to like about the Sienna. I, I've become a major fan, as you can tell. Yeah, you know, just driving around town, That's you, most of the time, unless you're taking a road trip, that's, the van is just running errands, right? So 35, 36 miles per gallon. Uh, that's when it gets hit hardest. Normal gas-powered vans right around the city. That's the worst gas mileage. So what a huge benefit that is. Yeah. And I got a chance to test the puddle lights. We actually had puddles, and I like the puddle lights. And, and the <laughs> fact that when you walk up to the, the vehicle and it is showing you what's outside the front door, that's kind of a good thing because there could be some bad things that you could step in. Uh, <laughs> and some things that are even worse than puddles, heaven knows. But I like this vehicle a lot. And uh, so I think we've got a couple of winners here in the Mazda CX-30 and the Toyota Sienna minivan. Well, when we come back, we're very happy to present an interview with Steve Center, who is Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of Kia in America. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague, Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Stay with us through the break. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Jack Red with you. And we have a special guest. Steve Center is the Chief Operating Officer and Executive Vice President of Kia America. Great to be with you. We're having a great day today. We're driving a really interesting vehicle. Spent some time learning about the brand, much more about the brand. It's going to be an exciting day for you, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, This has been a very busy year for us at Kia. A lot of new model introductions. It began with the EV6 and the year is ending with the EV6 GT. Well, let's talk a little bit about what the GT means to EV6 and what it means to the brand, because I think it's more than just another model, just another trim level in a a vehicle lineup. Uh, It means a lot, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, it's limited production. Uh, For the brand, it shows uh, both what Kia can do with electric cars and also that we're all in, in terms of providing a full line of EVs eventually. And uh, that includes entry EVs, uh, EVs for everybody, and most importantly, EVs for enthusiasts. Yeah, I mean, this is an unexpected EV, I would say, right? I mean, this is, and especially unexpected from a brand like Kia. Uh, that has been known as a value brand, but that's changing, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, we've, we're in the middle of a metamorphosis, in a sense, and we're, we're moving from uh, a value brand to an exciting brand 
that provides great value. And there's a big difference. Well, let's talk specifically about EV6 GT just for a minute, because it has such startling performance that that's an attention grabber, right? And, and that's what you're looking for. Absolutely. I think it speaks um, uh, tons to what we can do with that eGMP platform. So uh, the same car uh, runs uh, the range um, all the way up to super high performance, beating well-known exotic nameplates in terms of uh, zero to 60 statistics and uh, fun factor. I mean, the fun factor is absolutely there, and I, I drove it on the track today, many of us did. Very, very exciting car, thrilling car. And Kia has built, uh, built a reputation for dependability, reliability, done a, a great job in that. but. Excitement, not necessarily so much, but right. you know, it's certainly there with the EV6 GT. I would it? say this hits the smoking hot performance button. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And Kia, as a global brand, has big plans in the EV space, right? So tell us about that and how uh, EV6 GT fits in there. Absolutely. You've probably heard of our plan S, which stands for shift, and it's our shift to electrification. And uh, we've committed to uh, 14 a new. Uh, EV models by the end of the decade. And that's a complete transformation for a, a company that in the U.S. has only been here 30 years, and uh, we just sold our 10 millionth car in the U.S., and uh, we're going to be an all-electric company eventually. All-electric is uh, kind of a tough road to hoe, isn't it? I mean, there are challenges to that. Certainly EVs typically are premium-priced versus uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. They're more expensive to produce. Batteries are expensive. How do you expect to get there? Tell well, us about that. Uh, some of it's R&D and some of it's scale. And uh, we just introduced, or we just had a groundbreaking uh, outside of Savannah, Georgia for our uh, global uh, meta plant. And uh, it's uh, where we're going to build battery packs and electric vehicles right here in the United States. So it's uh, an evolution mm -hmm. in, in a sense and a revolution at the same time. Right. Well, it might be more important than ever to build cars in the United States, to build electric cars in the United States, right? I mean, recent legislation has kind of pushed us in that direction too, right? Yeah, Tell us about that. That's a, a more of a shove than a nudge. <laughs> a, a lot of the automakers have been planning to build electric cars, and typically you like to build where you're selling them. I think the government did the industry a disservice by changing the rules midstream. But regardless, the groundbreaking for this plant was planned long before that legislation. So in our case, uh, we're ahead of the curve, so yeah. to speak. And this is a massive, I, I, I just want our listeners and viewers to understand how big a commitment this is, because this is a massive commitment of dollars and, and effort. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, and supplier partners as well. Huge investment in terms of capital, uh, money capital and human capital. This factory could eventually employ uh, between the battery and the car factory over 5,000 people. And uh, that's a lot of jobs right here in the country. Mm -hmm. Wonderful stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the Kia brand. Um, 30 years in the United States, 10, 10 million sales in the United States, known as a value brand. Uh, Sportage has kind of been with the Kia forever. I think that was certainly a landmark vehicle. Another one was Telluride. Talk about, uh, about Telluride and how important Absolutely. that is. It's, I would say it's game changer number one. It's uh, brought to us uh, complete uh, new credentials in terms of uh, capable SUVs. Um, it's brought to us new customers, uh, younger, better educated, higher income. And when I say it's, it's the uh, 
uh, first of two. The next one is our EV9, which is going to be a Telluride size all-electric SUV. Yeah, three row. Three row. And coming fairly soon, correct? Uh, probably mark your calendar a year from now hopefully we'll be sitting here having the same discussion yeah. about ev9 oh, i hope so it'll be exciting to to see that happen it's a startling looking vehicle it really is an interesting looking vehicle and i think it's going to gain a lot of attention it already has as a concept vehicle absolutely and uh, usually concept vehicles are uh, created to test an image or a look or push the envelope a little bit and uh, after all you become jaded you see them and you say well the, Real one isn't going to look like that, so I'm not going to get too excited yet. But I'm here to tell you, get excited. Because I was in Seoul two weeks ago and I had a chance to crawl around uh, more or less a production almost version. And that's the car. Let's walk a, a little bit through what you've done this year because it's exciting. You mentioned a little bit about the fact that you introduced EV6. And then uh, I think a, a refreshed Telluride was also in the mix. Absolutely. There was the Nero, uh, three different versions of that. Tell us a little bit about yeah, what's three, happened. We've had a lot of uh, triplets this year. <laughs> so uh, the first uh, was, I think it was Sportage. So the longest, ah, running, right. yes. longest running nameplate in the company. And uh, we introduced uh, uh, Sportage, Sportage Hybrid, and uh, Sportage plug-in hybrid. And that's big because that's all new for Sportage. And it's, it's larger, it's uh, uh, bigger, it's uh, better, and it's built here. So yeah. that, that's a first it's, also. It's really kind of nailed the segment more so than ever before. Absolutely. There was always the feeling with Sportage that a good vehicle, but a little smaller than the competition. And now it is smack dab it's right in the middle. there, yeah. right in the middle of the bell curve. And, and it shows a lot of thought went into the car and um, it's going to be a home run. It's probably uh, going to uh, come close to doubling sales, I think. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's important. Quite a value. Yeah. Quite a value. Yeah. And uh, maybe a, a, a foundational pillar for the volume of the brand. And then the other triplets were the Nero. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nero is all new this year. And uh, Nero is uh, even deeper in electrification. So the uh, 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 first Nero is a, is a hybrid, so there's no pure internal combustion. And uh, then there's a plug-in hybrid. And uh, then there's the bonus one, which is pure EV, which is a, a real kick to drive. And kind of your entry into EVs, right? Absolutely. Entry level, about, what, $37,000, $38,000 on, on that order? Yes, and, uh, uh, and it's a, a surprising package because it's a smaller car, it's a, a wagon. I don't know if I'd call it an SUV, more of a CUV. Mm -hmm. So while uh, Sportage uh, comes in uh, front-wheel and all-wheel drive, uh, Nero is uh, just a front-wheel drive. Mm -hmm. so. I think, too, the, uh, the Nero um, HEV, the hybrid electric vehicle, is a screaming deal. I mean, it is under 30000 well under $30,000, something like 50 miles per gallon of fuel economy. Yeah, it's just an it, incredible deal. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. It's the kind of thing that, if you think about it, maybe 10 years ago was just uh, uh, a dream to have that kind of fuel, fuel economy and that kind of packaging and that kind of mm -hmm. relative pricing. I'm curious why there's no conventional version of that vehicle. Is there a rationale for that? Didn't want to. <laughs> okay. Didn't want. We, we're, we're, we're pushing towards electrification and uh, the thinking was do better with the hybrid. Hybrid represents no change in lifestyle mm -hmm. or inconvenience for a customer. So it's sort of a gateway 
product in that sense, and uh, then the plug-in for those who want to go further, and then the electric. Well, talk about a bit about the plug-in too. I, I think those of us uh, who review cars like the concept of a plug-in hybrid. You can dip your toe, or more than dip your toe, into driving pure electric most of the time, and yet you have this essential kind of like lifeboat or something. You can you can go to the gasoline engine when you need to. It's, it's more or less uh, for th for the risk averse <laughs> at, at this point. Uh, if if you think about it, and and by the way, when the battery's depleted, it runs as a hybrid. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're driving around with a dead battery. But what it does is uh, think of it as a range extend extender or a uh, fuel economy extender. And depending on your driving habits or your lifestyle, you can get away without using the motor a whole lot. So with a smaller battery, uh, you don't have the range limitations. And uh, depending on how you drive, you can go back and forth on that battery. Yeah, I mean, a plug-in hybrid, I, the, the only question I always have with plug-in hybrids is much range do you give the customer, right? Because every mile of range you add adds cost. So what's the trade-off? Yeah. You know, is it 50 miles? Is it 75 miles? Is it 30 miles? It's always hard to figure, isn't it? Yeah, and um, engineers will tell you that most people drive um, under 50 miles round trip every day. Once you get towards 50, at some point you don't want to have a plug-in. The reason is you have an engine and you have an electric motor and then you have the battery and you have the fuel tank. So at some point you don't need the two uh, coexisting powertrains. So usually it's a little over 30 is, is where it ends up because at some point you're just adding weight and battery and you're not getting enough range to really make it an EV. Let's segue back to EV6 because you've had some experience with most of the uh, models of EV6 and now introducing GT right at the end of the year. There's been some changes even in the model lineup based on that learnings, right? Tell us about that. Absolutely. So uh, when we introduced the car as a 22 model, we had uh, an additional entry point, which was uh, price lower. And uh, in order to accomplish that, it had a smaller battery. And what we found was it was less than 3% of our sales. So while we were trying to make uh, a vehicle that was uh, uh, more available to people, they weren't interested. And that's a very good sign because what it says is that the market wants an EV with a, uh, a livable range and uh, we discontinued that entry trim and it's not changing our business any. And if you think about it, because the car has the uh, fast charging and it's an 800 volt system, um, the uh, remaining uh, models which have roughly 300 mile uh, all electric range, um, you can charge them very quickly. I think it's 80% uh, in 18 minutes 18 or something. Minutes. Like, yeah, and yeah. Um, you're off and running again. Maybe that's the, the untold story about this vehicle and about all, all the EV6s and about EV6 GT is not only is it fast and it's 161 mile per hour mm -hmm. top speed fast, it's 3.4 seconds zero to 60 fast, but it is also fast charging. And, that puts you at a competitive advantage against uh, vehicles like Tesla and you know, some of the other ones, right? Well, time is money. Uh, people uh, don't want to sit around in gas stations. And uh, if you think about it, there's two aspects to the performance of the vehicle now. There's the, whereas internal combustion cars, for the most part, all fuel at the same speed unless they've got a giant tank. What uh, we've learned is that people want fast cars, they want cars with big range, and they want cars that charge quickly. And you're providing that absolutely. to them in, in the way it's kind of class leading or industry leading. It absolutely is, and we're very proud of that. Yeah, yeah, very, very cool. Going forward, what do you think uh, Kia will have 
for people out there in the marketplace. You can tell us all about future product if yeah, you like. Absolutely. But probably you won't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I'll just uh, allude to the fact that you're going to be shocked at, at what we deliver in the next couple of years. The styling is incredible. The powertrain choices are incredible, and the value story is incredible. As we continue to add a lot of technology features in the car, and some of the features are for sheer pleasure, and some of them are for safety as well, which is probably even more important. Yeah, very, very cool. Well, cool stuff. Thanks so much for letting me drive this vehicle and, and, and talk to you about it. And Steve Center, you are the COO and uh, Executive Vice President of Kia America. Thanks so much for being Thank with you, us. Thank you, Jack. Really appreciate it. Great to speak with you again. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to the first America on the Road episode for 2023. Thanks so much for being with us. It's listener question time. And uh, we have uh, what I think is a, a fascinating, interesting, and uh, confusing in a lot of ways listener question. I think I'll dive right into it, Chris. Uh, this is from Fritz in Monterey, California. Lovely place. Here's the question. I'd like to buy an electric car, but it seems like the tax credits are in a state of flux right now. Dealers I talk to say that there are no tax credits available on a couple of vehicles I have been looking at. And he uh, names the Hyundai Ioniq 5 and Kia EV6. Two good choices, I think. What is going on, Chris? Well, everything changed two days ago. So <laughs> everything changed and it's continuing to change. If you read the news, it's extremely uh, confusing. Uh, basically, the new requirements that came in, there are four main points to this, that, that a vehicle has to meet to be eligible for the, the tax credit. It has to have a seven kilowatt minimum battery capacity, has to have a gross vehicle weight rating of less than 4, 14,000 pounds, be made by a qualifying manufacturer, which is the important point here, and it must undergo final assembly in North America. Hyundai has submitted paperwork to say that it wants to become a qualified manufacturer, but it hasn't sent any models that qualify under those criteria. So I would say maybe by the end of the year, but who knows? Well, and it's interesting, too, because the Treasury Department, which for some reason is involved in this, just has put out some rules about leasing, saying a lot of vehicles will qualify for commercial leasing, quote unquote, including stuff for consumers that includes some some vehicles that are not built in America that don't would not otherwise qualify, which confuses this still further. A senator, Senator Joe Manchin, I think from West Virginia, has is saying this is circumventing what we just put into the law. What's going, you know what's going on here? And so there's I think if anything, it's in more of a state of flux than it has been before. Yeah, why you know tell me the list of cars that I cannot buy, but then. The the next day tell me I can lease them instead and you still get the credit. I, I could, you know, I spent some time being a little angry about it the other day and I'm over it now. So I'm not going to reopen that scab. <laughs> well, I would like to uh, plug my most recent book, which is Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller as we come to the end of uh, this first episode of 2023. And I also want to thank Chris so much for being with us here on America on the Road. Uh, Always great to have you co-host, Chris. Great to be here in 2023, and thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like what you heard, please head to the sportsmapradio.com website. There you can find uh, our radio show formatted for uh, the podcast as well as our po our normal podcast, I should say, on all the major platforms. Yes, and our thanks to the Sportsmap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. And uh, join us again next week for another edition of America on the Road. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. 
Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel, so he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.